of silence for a red-tailed hawk, which me and Martin encountered just yesterday leading up to this show. I am Zan Mars. We have our bird and birding expert Martin Salinas standing by, who is here with us to live tweet this episode. Also, we have wildlife conservation and ecology expert Timothy Lequi in the studio in order to chat with us a little bit more about birds out there. It is January 11th, 2016. Welcome to the new and improved season two of If You're a Paragraph. Enjoy. Tweeting our our uh, updating our show as far as um, our tweets go, they are live tweets, so um, you may hear him a chap uh, a ch chirping away on those uh, keys. But uh, Tim can attest to the fact that Martin is a very adamant tweeter, and he will be tweeting throughout the show. So um, first up, of course, we obviously had the moment of silence for this red-winged blackbird. Or, sorry, I mean this. Excuse me, I got my my head in the a red-winged blackbird here, but. We do um, want to talk about birds here, and the red-tailed hawk is the bird we want to talk about, wouldn't you say? So, me and Rochelle Tews, uh, a former guest on the show, have met up together um, post-show to uh, talk a little bit more about, about Dermy, and so we could ankle and we could spot some of the game out there. And we have some uh, RW blackbirds in my neighborhood, which is why I almost said red-winged blackbirds, which I did say. So, actually, we have another story about that later in the show. Uh, when I called you yesterday to respond to this incident, uh, how did you? What were your initial uh, thoughts about that, Martin? The the first thing for me was really just the thought of how soon can I get there? I mean, when you called me with this news, I knew this was I had to be there. I had to be a part of this. I had to try mm -hmm. and help mm -hmm. out, offer up what I could as a birder. Yeah, it's a uh, it's kind of one of those things that you exploded on this scene. I myself wasn't that upset. Regardless, uh, uh, Martin, you did seem very excited or or, sa or sad. I wasn't sure which. It was a mixture of a s excitement and sa sadness about this. Uh, it, it really was. It was a, a total mix of emotions. On the one hand, it's this very unusual bird event. Uh, and of course, every birder loves those. Mm. But on the other hand, what makes this so unusual is the fact that this bird died in a we are way. keeping these viewers here on the uh, on the hook as far as this one goes. Uh, Martin, I, I would uh, just caution you to, to um, give us a little bit of what exactly was going on. What was this exciting event that I did not have Tim come out to? Well, Zam, let me just put it this way. I'm going to go straight inside of the mind of a red tail that we're talking about right now. So if... Our viewers, uh, if you're driving, uh, don't do this. If you're at home, go ahead, close your eyes. And imagine... My uh, eyes are closed in the studio, so for you viewers out there who can't see me, I, I, well, obviously I can never see you anyways, but my eyes are closed now. Imagine a cold morning, mm. a blue sky, 
You awoke at your down feathers keeping you warm all through the bitter cold of the night. You know you must hunt. Finding small rodents is your only way of survival. My house dad tastes those rodents in my beak. Even though these humans have occupied your habitat for some 300 years in this big, unbelievable sense, fragmenting the habitat, causing it to be poor quality, making your life all the harder than it already was. You manage to squeak a living by. You take off from the cold perch of the morn. You find two field mice behind a garbage can, a snack that will sustain you at least halfway through the day. Finally, you decide to rest in the midday sun, atop a pole, what looks to you like a snag, but to humans, merely a device for carrying their electricity from place to place. When you perch, your head gently touches a wire. Oh, that fatal wire. The wire that sends the surge of humanity through your bones. It is the end of you. You fall. But even then, the humans could not let you go with dignity. You are left hung from the pole. Talon digging into the wood. And here you lie. Eyes white, charred, wings stiff against the sky to which you always used to fly. Wow, that's a, sort of a, a, a insidious uh, cautionary tale for all the red-winged blackbirds. Uh, or, I mean, sorry, the red-tailed hawks out there. Sorry, I got, I got red-winged blackbirds in my mind. I got to tell you, Martin, that's an unbelievable um, representation of the story. I'm very moved by that. So it was uh, just hanging there, huh? It was hanging. Uh, it was hanging by its talent, Tim. Hanging by it's, a single talent. It's quite amazing. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that. Yeah. Now to decode what exactly just happened for you viewers out there, we did actually spot a um, an unbelievable sighting of a red-tailed hawk stuck on the top of uh, some sort of telephone pole, a gawk in there like some sort of you know you know when you looked at a bird like that and its eyeballs were jutting out of its head, it was. Alarming sight. Now, I do have to actually clarify here. Um, as per my conversation with Puget Sound Energy earlier today, our uh, local uh, power supplier, that this was indeed not a telephone pole, but a power pole. Power pole. Uh, something that we'll have to really distinguish for the listeners in case they were confused. Right. Understandable. So with that, uh, speaking about all this sort of dead birds, I mean, I didn't want to say that. I... Um, by, you know, call it taxidermy to be. How about that? Speaking of this taxidermy to be, I uh, do have an image I'd like um, Martin to identify. This is a bird. Now, Martin, I'd like you to please identify what that bird is. Another taxidermy to be, or so to speak. You know, I a, almost said so to beak. <laughs> <laughs> now, this, this bird you've got up here, um, hmm, let's see. This one might not be in the best shape for taxidermy. Okay. Now, Zan, where did you find this bird? Well, that's a funny thing. Is I, I guess around the AP Studios. I found it around the, in the around the same vicinity of the AP Studios. I had found the red winged blackbird. So we're finding dead birds around. Red-tailed hawk. Sorry, that's red-tailed hawk. Excuse me again. But we're finding all these dead birds around, and uh, it's uh, you know, I, I mean, it's exciting, but it's a little alarming. Uh pretty mangled up um 
you could definitely the wings are very intact so that's a plus the skull right. um the tail but as far as having a full taxidermy bird right. doesn't seem very likely sure so now uh quick side note to listeners kind of going back to our previous story for just a minute if i may zan we uh actually had a call into uh pse puget sound energy okay. they've let us know that on their dispatch they're leaving a note are indeed going to hold that red-tailed hawk we will be migratory bird salvage permit and uh hopefully acquiring that hawk that would be beautiful um we here at uh, ap Always uh, love to get a good, speci- spe- a good specimen into For educational purposes. Educational purposes. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to educate the youth around us. And I got to tell you, I'm excited to do so. And I congratulate you, Martin Slayers, on behalf of the Aviary Paragraph team. Okay, so with that, we're going to uh, uh, take a quick break. Uh, Tim, I got a quick question to ask you um, on this break. Uh, it's just a real quick uh, trivia question. Will a duck's uh, quack echo? True or false? A duck's quack will echo. Sorry. No, no, actually, true or false, a duck's quack will not echo. I would say that's false. I feel feel like a duck's quack is probably like any other sound, you know. That's very uh, true. Uh, Good job on on that. Uh, You did a great job on that trivia question. Uh, All right, we're taking you out here on AP. Uh, See you soon. And we're back uh, with uh, what we like to bring back for the second season. Um, now, I just want to briefly talk, uh, get you guys sort of uh, things in here, uh, speaking to us about what you exactly uh, think we're, is going to be so great about this next season, AP. Tim, do you have anything uh, in store for us here in the next second season here? Um, you know, I uh, try to bring something in store every episode right. I, you know, participate in, but... Well, what's in stock? What's in stock in this store? Uh, you know, a lot of things. I got some some birding tails. Um, come come April, I'm gonna be going back to my summer job, monitoring birds on Fort Lewis. So once that happens, I'm gonna be sure. birds 100% of the time, which yeah. I'm sure it'll be some. Some great some stories great from stories, that. Yeah, exactly. I know. We, uh, I get to tell you, our studio audience has a real hunger for stories like that. I'm always just fascinated by what Tim is bringing uh, to AP. Okay, so we're going to start this uh, second season up here with a few new things, but also some old ones. And this old one we have here for you now is an oldie but a goodie, I tell you that much. It's called Spotter Sound. This uh, this game is has three sounds. 
First sound's a bird sound. Second sound's a bird sound and another sound. Third sound's just a sound. Play these three sounds. Each each play of a sound is going to be followed by a guessing round in which Martin and Tim are going to be able to guess uh, what that sound is. So, uh, so we're going to do sound number one here on Spotter Sound. Um, that sound there. Any any guesses for us here, Martin or Tim? Tim, you want to have it this one first, or uh, you want sure, to yeah. Um, <clears throat> you could hear the the water in in the background. Um, definitely a water bird. Definitely a water bird. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I I did that because I thought we should really plunge into the second yeah, a season. Lot of, a lot of clucks and short shorts and right. interesting sounds going on there. I, maybe uh, maybe a herring gull. That's close. That's close. Close, but uh, no cigar. Martin, you got any uh, guesses uh, after this? A good uh, burger friend of mine once said, A goal's a goal's a goal's a goal. A seagull eats a french fry. A burger sees a goal. This is a ring-billed goal. Wow. I got <laughs> That's impressive. That's impre- I mean, uh, the herring goal, that was a pretty good choice, but... Uh, you hit the nail on the head with that one. I gotta tell you, you hit the nail on the head. That was a ring-billed goal. So that gives uh, you one point here on Spotter Sound. Now we're gonna do sound two here on Spotter Sound. Uh, this sound is a bird sound, another sound. Um, and here is that sound. Chief Justice, I may have pleased the court. The issue in these consolidated cases is whether participants and beneficiaries of ERISA plans may seek consequential and punitive damages in state court under state court law for the allegedly wrongful denial of ERISA health care benefits to contract claims that essentially duplicate what's available under Section 502 of the federal statute, but not to tort claims, which give supplemental remedies for consequential uh, and punitive damages. Okay, guys, so do we have any uh, guesses on this one? Either you, uh, Martin or Tim, do you uh, have any guesses on what this could be? And uh, realize we are having, we have, do have two sound categories here. There's the bird, and then there's the other sound. Uh, Martin, I want to take this one first. You know, uh, coupled with a bird, at first my mind really went to the tropics, where the waxy coating on leaves has actually caused birds to evolve very high-pitched, short uh, calls and songs. However, this bird, the the repetitiveness of its call kind of steered me a little bit away from the tropics, but certainly I don't think it's a bird from home. So maybe Central America, North Central America. I... Interesting. I'm almost thinking... Uh, call me crazy, but I'm thinking that this is some kind of parakeet? Uh, wow. You know, to follow up uh, a uh, guess like that first one with um, that guess, uh, that's pretty far off, Martin. Um, Tim, do you have uh, any sort of guesses on this one? Or are you going to keep it uh, sort of uh, yeah, to I, yourself? Not, so a, not, a, not a bird I've, I've heard. Okay, sure. So, uh, for that uh, second sound, that was actually the masked lapwing. It's a masked lapwing. With the partial recording of the oral argument in the Supreme Court case Aetna Health versus Davila.
So uh, that was actually zero points awarded to either of you on that one. Um, I gotta admit that was a toughie. Uh, but that is Martin still in the lead with the ring bell goal. And now we have our very last sound here on Spotter Sound. Thank you very much for accepting to do the opposite hero and character opposite me. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating Bangalore, my brother's house is there, I went there. Nearby, one Rajasthani, one Rajasthani tenant, they have come there. After knowing that I have come, I mean, I was there, he came to see me. Samara, Rajasthani's name is Nandulal. He is some 60 plus. He came and he said, what happened to you? What happened to you? I said, then I told him, I swear I heroine. I swear I heroine. I fantastic. I swear I heroine. Hero code. Okay, so that was uh, sound number three. Uh, Martin, do you have any guesses on uh, what that sound could be? Zan, at the risk of being uh, Casey at the bat here, I'm going to go ahead and say this one is just too far out there. I've got my point. Uh, as much as I don't know what it is, I also think that Tim doesn't know what it is. So I'm going to go ahead and pass and sit pretty on my one-point lead. Sound number three was a tough sound. The Oh, that's not tough. That's uh, Legend Raji, Rajni Kaun. Uh, he's a old favorite of mine. Oh, wow. I, I, I never knew. You're a, what, do you uh, listen to Indian stand-up a lot, or? Uh, no, just, just this guy. All right. He's, I mean, he's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's true. He, he, he is pretty funny. When I was, uh, when I was making that third sound, uh, Spotter's sound, I was, uh, kind of amazed at how funny he was. Um, uh, even though he speaks in English only partially in his stand-up, it's almost like you can get what he's saying. You can get what he's saying. Right. Much, yeah. So... Well, that was Spotter Sound, and uh, with that, I'm going to have to pass the uh, Spotter Sound uh, scope over to Tim, because it's time for our new segment called Timothy's Bird Book Corner, a segment where Tim talks uh, bird books. out there it's time to discuss the birding book of the week um, and today I will be reviewing 1001 secrets every birder should know um, by Sharon um, Stiddler and so uh, 
Mrs. Stiddler, um, she um, goes by Bird Chick, her website, birdchick.com. And this book, it has a lot of um, just really fun facts. Um, it's pretty much just entirely fun facts. And yeah. I mean, I really can't stress enough how fun this book is. I like fun, but not facts. Do you think I'm still going to be engaged in this book? Um, the fun factor of this particular book is so high that... I mean, pretty much, if there was anything else about it that you didn't like, that, you know, that would okay. pretty much account for... Would you rather read this book or go birding? Um, it's pretty close. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd I asked our Tim Turn the tough questions. What was yeah, that? I'd probably still, I'd probably rather go birding. Yeah, I think we all would. I mean, that's true. I mean, when you say that's a tough question, I mean, come on. In a way, it's you know, an easy get question. Hell, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Why would you look at a, you know, picture of birds? Who wouldn't you know, rather be birds? Real thing. Anyways, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read a few... reviews for this this book um first i'll do a couple official uh publicated um uh published reviews and then i'll do a couple um amazon.com reviews okay i like what you're doing there yeah continue please so uh publishers weekly uh no that that one's too long i'm gonna go for a shorter one all right Library Journal um, wrote this review. Stiddler infuses her subject with an enthusiasm that is truly infectious. For readers new to birding, this is the book. Its ew factor might even pull up into some young adults. No doubt many of the experts Birdchick has entertained at events around the continent will also want to experience her wit in print and film. Yeah. Well, you know, who was that again? That was the Library Journal. Never heard of them. Yeah, neither. And then, uh, let's see here. The president of American Birding Association, Jeffrey A. Gordon. Hmm. The world of birds and birders is fun, fascinating, and at times more than a little bit funky. Sharon Stidler makes an ideal tour guide through this strange and fascinating territory, sharing facts, opinions, stories, and yes, secrets, in an entertaining, personal, and personable way. Well, it's important to be personable. I definitely um, look around uh, at a lot of these people who are less than personable. Um, you know, over here in the PNW, they call a little thing called the Seattle Freeze. Yeah. Uh, it gets a little chilly up there in terms of social yeah. interaction. Um, I'm not sure if we're all aware of that, or if some of us are aware of that, but I gotta say, it is something to be aware of. Um, yeah, something to consider before you, um, you decide to move up here. My cousin moved up here just a little while ago, and I, I told him, uh, no, you shouldn't move up here from Ohio, don't, don't leave the family roots, I've got, I'm settled up here, I don't really need another, uh, family member in my life, I got my immediate family over here. I don't want any of the other family. And then he did happen to come over here, and and we honestly How didn't. Was that? Well, we didn't get along very very well. Hmm. Um. All right. And uh, to wrap this up, um, 
this uh, 1001 Secrets Every Birder Should Know by Sharon Stidler, or Sharon Birdchick Stidler, I should say. I'm gonna just uh, kind of go see what the streets have to say about this book. Um, okay. I'm gonna check the Amazon.com reviews, and uh, it got fantastic reviews, a fantastic user rating. Um, yeah. Pretty remarkable, actually. It got a uh, 4.8 out of 5 out of 20 reviews. Whoa. 20 wow, people actually uh, wrote reviews for this book. That's exceptional uh, in that um, there are so many reviews and that they are so high as well. Yeah. So uh, Nancy Werrell said, Bought it as a gift, but may have to buy one for myself. It's a fun book. Um... That says it. I mean, that honestly says it all. I don't even know if you have any yeah. need to read another review. Quite frankly, uh, there's I mean, there's one more. Review. There is one more that you yeah. really will probably want to read. But but that does say it all, wouldn't you say? Uh, but I'd say it pretty much the last sentence of that review sums sums it up. Right. It's a fun book. What was your favorite part of this book? Zan, I think uh, my favorite part of this book was probably the uh, the first couple pages there's some really great uh just single photograph pages of uh, some photography uh miss birdchick mm. has taken and uh mm -hmm. i think that was my favorite part yeah well you know that's i feel like that's kind of in the, in the spotter's blood you know all of us birders out there kind of like in your you're flowing through your veins instead of just blood you have the urge to see birds yeah not uh i'd agree uh, with that and i think you know no, no duh, pretty much. That, you, that you're going to like those pages yeah. the best, because I mean, it's, yeah, you get to see those birds. Why would you read about birds when you could be looking at an actual right. photograph of one? Right. Um, Alright, and so the last review uh, by Lily E. Doesn't say what her last name is. Um, she gave it five stars, and the review is titled... I'm so glad I got this book. I loved it. Wow. If you are into birds, um, or know someone that is, buy this right now. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, going back to the fun again, right, pretty yeah. much every review said sure, that. Sure. And very informative. Yeah. I find myself going back to it over and over. Right. I got into birds just a couple of years ago, so there was a lot of stuff in this book that I didn't know. Yeah. I'm going to pick up one for a friend for Christmas who also loves yeah. birds. This is a must-have for anyone who enjoys bird watching. Yeah. I've looked at and own a lot of birding books, but yeah. this one is um, fun and easy. That's, Check it out. The, the, now, that's, that's a good review, but here's what I'm thinking. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this book got pretty good reviews on Amazon, right? Great reviews on Amazon. Yeah. Now, with a name like Lily E., it kind of makes you you think that's a that's just kind of a strange name. Like, um, you do do we know who any of these reviewers are? We got to look up these reviewers, see what else they review, because it could be possible that this bird yeah. chick um, has gone on and take you, you. I mean, if you get basically uh, one to ten bird chick friends on there, given pumping up those reviews, we could be reviewing a book that's I mean, honestly not a very good read and, and giving it a high score. Yeah, well, I've I've read this book page to page, cover to cover, and I have to yeah. say it is 
to 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 say it's fun it really is an understatement okay so uh from one to ten chirps how many chirps are you gonna give it the whole ten chirps ten chirps okay now i hate to jump in here and interrupt you gentlemen but i uh i have just gotten word we've got a rare bird alert Okay. Uh, right now, a report just came in that we've got a common red pole here in Thurston County. Uh, now, I didn't have time to put this in a live tweet. I know that our viewers are probably wondering, uh, mm. but in the comments here from that uh, bird report, this common red pole was seen by Kim again, mm. uh, still mixed in with the Siskins, yeah. red on top of the head and all white barring on wing compared to yellow on the Siskins. Uh, no photo at this time. So Kim is he's night birding. Uh, Kim right now is night birding and probably explains of, the lack of a photo. Right. Uh, I'm pulling up a map right now. A lot of these night birders now it's nice for them because they can actually buy some of that night vision um, equipment. So any birders that want to go check this out, we're looking really at the end of Steamboat Island, just mm. due south of Hope Island State Park. It is residential. It is private land. So all you birders, you know it. Uh, birders ethics out there no trespassing no disturbing people in their homes but apparently we've got a common red pole out there right now well i don't go out there anyways so i'm not going to be going out there but that's very nice of you to mention to us martin with that being said i have another story i was uh i was i was uh hinting at earlier and that is of course my red wing blackbird story i've been uh, you guys might have noticed i've been very antsy to tell this story earlier in the show now for our viewers i was actually asking zan ahead of the show i just wanted to get <laughs> kind of a little sneak preview of uh of the story and uh, he wouldn't share it i could tell he wanted to but uh this is going to be just as much of a surprise for uh, for me as you i don't kiss and tell and if i'm birding <laughs> i'm not kissing at all so um Pretty much, it's a little bit of a red-winged blackbird story, uh, as everybody knows. Uh, so I made it uh, no secret last season that I met a new friend at my local deli, um, and I've been actively cut, sort of cutting loose with this guy. I've been birding with this uh, this young man that I've met um, two to three times a month, uh, birding together. Um, that's that's neither here nor there, though. Uh, what is here is that um, he's been a little down on his on his luck lately. He needs a helping hand, and he has been in uh, sore need of some government assistance. Now, for anybody out there who's stroking their sort of political ego, looking down on this guy or anything, let me tell you that that's not what we do on this show. We talk about birds on this show. So where there where there's a bird in a story, uh, and there is a bird in this story, um, but you gotta let me get to that. That's what we talk about. We aren't getting political on this show. We only talk birds and not politics. Only birds, strictly. So as I was saying, um, we were walking to DSHS uh, with our heads held high, I gotta add, one foot after the other. Obviously put your pant legs on one at a time. Um, and we spotted a bird outside the office uh, and it was hard to uh, it was say what it was because it was a distant bird, uh, by uh, about a quarter kilometer, I'd say. And I was not equipped with my binos at the time, so I did not spot that. I did help him with his paperwork, me and my, my, my uh, new buddy that I met. You, I guess we could call him a buddy. I would. But, uh, 
So I have this paperwork, and uh, then we walk out of the we're walking out of this place, and we happen to see two very interesting uh, pictures. Uh, first one is a sign, and well, they're both signs. One's made on a computer. One's just like a regular sign. Now I've invited our aforementioned bird expert Marcellinus onto the show for his um, opinion on this subject. So hopefully he's going to provide us a little bit of insight. Um, and Tim, I encourage you also to provide us with some sort of insight as to uh, what these symbols mean. I'm going to pull up these pictures for you now. And um, if you could just uh, talk a little bit about, I mean, you see here, this was mentioning this red-winged blackbird, which I believe was possibly the bird that I see outside the DHHS office. Uh, what type of bird do you think uh, this is? So... It's a uh, it's a black, mainly black bird, and there it has some red and yellow on its wings. And there's a caption above the the picture that says "Red Winged Blackbird." Oh, that's right. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see that actually. You know, always anytime you're birding, I think this is actually a great birding lesson, Zan. Sure. You want to look at the birds, but you want to look at all the clues around the birds. Now, mm. for us birders out in the habitat, that's looking at the trees, the landscape, uh, all the surroundings. But I think still applies here. Look at the picture of the bird, but right above it, you got the word red winged blackbird. Oftentimes, I've seen um, birds that get mismatched with the names. So that's true. It could it could throw you off. Uh, could be a, a miscue. Certainly not diagnostic. So I'm gonna. We we are live. We have like tweeted this picture, but I will say what it says. It says, "Warning: This bird will attack due to nesting in the shrubbery inside of the pond fence. Walk down sidewalk at your own risk. It's only protecting his nest. Please be aware, red-winged blackbird, uh, from your friends um, at DSHS staff." So it's. Uh, Sort of a message of of, of vitriol, uh, of uh, sort of a message of hate. Would uh, I think against this bird? But then, I wouldn't say hate. Maybe not hate. But um, what, now, do you guys think this redwood back uh, bird could be attacking other uh, people out here? Or absolutely. I mean, it's happened to me. Are uh, you are you kidding me? No, hitting the links with my grandpa as a kid. Uh, I sliced the. Ball, yeah, over to the the pond, which okay. has has cattails around it, right. and let me tell you, just from looking at that picture, I see some cattails that birds perched on. That they seem is to a like dead giveaway for right. red winged blackbird. That's their their favorite habitat in this gotcha. area is uh, gotcha. cattails. But he must have mistaked my ball for for his egg or her egg. Sure, um, but yeah, they, I was getting getting pecked. On the head. Oh man! By, uh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Quite honestly, how old were you? Couldn't have been more than ten or eleven. Wow. Yeah, pretty, pretty traumatic. Tender for, young for age. A small, small, small child. Now I'm going to bring in a kind of differing viewpoint on this one. Despite the fact that people may be having close encounters with these uh, really territorial male red-winged blackbirds. Um, which are sort of known in the bird kingdom for establishing pretty large territories and defending them from absolutely anything. They'll go after eagles, they'll go after bobcats, they'll go after people. In the case of their interactions with people, it's, it's actually quite rare that a person is ever attacked in the sense that the bird makes contact with the person. What the bird typically does is display an aggressive behavior that's meant to deter uh, its perceived aggressor away from its territory. 
never actually causing any harm to the person. So I guess what I my message to the DSHS office would be, uh, you know, maybe instead of being so afraid of this bird and just trying to get people to steer clear, let's uh, let's learn a little bit about this bird. Let's look at this as a birding opportunity. It's not a bad guy. It's just uh, misunderstood. And um, oftentimes you see children's stories and children's tales. I would, uh, if I had a time machine and I could go back in time to little 11-year-old Timothy, I would tell him, um, this bird is your friend. This bird is, it could be uh, that you maybe misunderstood this bird's intentions. I think that's absolutely could be. Yeah, so um, with that uh, sort of stunning story, we are going to have to take a break. And uh, again, we will have to, with this break, <clears throat> Martin, which are the two most famous comic ducks? Daffy Duck and Donald Duck. You got it. That's good. All right. We'll be back. interesting sort of breaking news story um, about uh, this place Malier and um, Martin's gonna have a little bit more about it um, to talk to us it's kind of got to do with all that sort of stuff what's going on with the cattle ranchers and maybe bird birds are potentially involved in this one so um, you know I haven't really been I don't watch the news uh, I don't watch that sort of crap out there so um, this is all Martin um, on this one uh, I like to keep my um, sort of outlook sort of more positive not much of a downer as, as Martin is, honestly. But uh, Martin, if you want to please enlighten us, please do. Yeah, Zin. So what? Uh, what I'm actually coming to talk to you about today is the. This is breaking news. If I'm th correct. This is breaking news. Over the last week, um, just a little bit after New Year's, we had uh, some some major activity that had really been swelling up in the Burns, Oregon community. Uh, that really centered around two ranchers, the Hammonds, uh, father and son, who uh, had been tried and convicted of setting uh, fires on public lands, tried and convicted of arson uh, for fires in 2001 and 2006. Now, Tim sets fires, um, but uh, doesn't go to jail. Now, why did these guys uh, get convicted? setting these fires. I, Tim setting, setting fires all all over the state. I'm so glad you asked, Zan, uh, because in this case, uh, the Hammonds were actually setting fires to cover up evidence of their poaching activities on Bureau of Land Management uh, lands. So they had been poaching deer and elk, set these fires, and when they went to court, uh, kind of as a way to, to um, kind of, I don't know, stick it to people like Tim. I mean, really, I think, Tim, this was sort of an assault on your profession and career path, they said that their fires, they were actually 
setting fires to remove invasive species from the BLM property. Now I'm not trying to stick it to Tim, but I will say that um, deers, and uh, I don't see anything wrong with poaching some deers, because deers are, uh, I quite frankly, I went up to Fort Townsend a little while back, and they got so many deers, they got all the too many deers, and I, I, I think deers are, I think they're LC, their, st their conservation status is LC. You know, Zane, I'll address that briefly, but I'd like to sort of also move along so we can get to the heart of the issue. Uh, and in this case, there is certainly an issue around habitat fragmentation and increasing populations of deer, uh, making diseases uh, very prevalent. However, uh, it's not so much the species as much as it is the poaching and the culture around poaching. The culture around people thinking that they can go out and choose to hunt outside of the regulatory process. The Hammonds having been convicted of this, really came into a situation where you had outside people coming into the community at Burns, Oregon to protest their imprisonment. They had been put into jail for about a year, one of them, and another 366 days. This also happened with the uh, first, the election of the first transsexual uh, mayor in Oregon's history. We had a lot of outside people coming. Oregon is a lively place. That's okay. one thing we can all agree on. Okay. So, people are coming to protest uh, the sentences of the Hammonds. They were sentenced, released, and then actually resentenced because the, the original judge did not uphold the mandatory minimum five-year sentence for arson on federal lands. That law was established as an anti-terrorism law by the Clinton administration around the first bombing of the World Trade Center. So we're kind of seeing this, this really has a geopolitical context, the, the backstory to how uh, this Malheur occupation really began. Now, as much as I'm talking about the Hammonds, what's going on there right now doesn't per se have anything to do with them. When Ammon Bundy, the son of really infamous Cliven Bundy, the rancher from Nevada who had a standoff with BLM agents uh, last year, heard of this, he is... Uh, putting forth the idea that God told him to come to Burns, Oregon and to do something about it. Having arrived and garnering support, finds out uh, that the Hammonds actually don't want any of his assistance nor the assistance of the outsiders that he has brought with him. The, there's a uh, peaceful march in Burns uh, in support of the plight of the Hammonds. The march then splinters. You have uh, an armed group of militiamen, maybe terrorists, maybe militants, or patriots, depending on who you ask, who then, uh, sort of in an effort not knowing what to do, decide to go to Malheur National Wildlife Refuge and occupy it, take it over, head into those old uh, buildings. This is a very old refuge established in 1908, one of the first refuges, taking over these offices that were built by the CCC, the Citizens Conservation Corps, for those who aren't familiar. And they've been there ever <clears throat> since. Their demands are unclear. The organization that they uh, claim to have is, is certainly suspect at best. Law enforcement uh, refuses to set up a barricade, continuing to allow people in and out, even allowing pizzas to be delivered. Frankly, there's a lot of concern within the birding community, Zan. It kind of sounds like you got a maid in the shade with pizza delivery. It really does. Uh, these guys, in a lot of ways, may have been emboldened by the fact that when the FBI and BLM had the original standoff with Clive and Bundy in Nevada, um, they basically let Clive and Bundy win that one. Uh, he wasn't prosecuted, he wasn't charged, uh, he wasn't fined. In fact, the cattle that he uh, 
they, they confiscated, they actually released back to him um, with no conditions. So a lot of people are thinking that law enforcement and BLM have really emboldened his son to come out and, and do this. Uh, and, you know, we're just kind of hoping that uh, at this point he's messed with the wrong federal agency. I mean, these are the bird people. Yeah, if there is any, if it turns out that any of their activities at the, the refuge while they're occupying, it disturbs the, the migratory birds that depend on that, that refuge, there's... There's going to be hell to pay. You know, and Tim, uh, on that note, uh, Ammon Bundy has actually called for people to come to Malior, uh, specifically the people he called, he said, uh, I want the, the miners to come and mine, the loggers to come and log, and the hunters to come and hunt. So I think what we're looking at here is not only um, a possible uh, disturbance, but actually a call by Ammon Bundy for people to come and disturb the wildlife. That's an interesting idea because uh, Tim was talking about this disturbance here. Within your position, you are disturbing wildlife, creating natural disturbances of uh, wildfires for wildlife um, and the ecological system in Washington. Now, with these guys going over there and creating these disturbances for wildlife, are they not assisting the wildlife? And then that goes down to the root of the question, which is what is nature? Well... Um, I'm going to have to disagree with the comparison of what I do to uh, what they're proposing to do. Our disturbance activities that we create through prescribed fire, um, we do at times of the season where it will affect the least amount of wildlife. So we do it after... Um, we do it after the breeding seasons for oh, yeah. the wildlife that occupy that habitat. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there are some casualties. There, you know, gardener snakes are often found. Um, wow. Uh, crisps, wow. but, you know, another species of least concern. Sure. Um, sure. You know, occasionally we'll find a, a vole, Townsend's vole, um, but like the gardener steak they're one of the most plentiful yeah. animals you Bulls, know, out in yeah. out in nature Ooh. in this area um and so there really isn't a lot affected and the wildlife that we it does do a good job of killing are invasive insects sure. like praying mantises um sure which uh prescribed fire does a really great job of of bringing those up definitely definitely now, uh, it does seem like you have a sort of a handle on this whole ecological thing. Would you have any sort of, if you could give advice to BLM, uh, what would you say? Uh, my advice to BLM would be to prosecute these individuals and intervene before any unnatural human disturbance occurs on the wildlife refuge because that kind of human disturbance uh, it's, you know, it's a sanctuary for a lot of migrating birds, and if they migrate and land there and are met with gunfire, you know, they may not, they may not use that area again. Sure. So thanks for shedding a light on that, um, definitely. Uh, I think that really shed a light on the whole situation for me. And, uh, I think from what I've learned is that not all disturbances are the same, you know? I agree with that. Even within natural versus unnatural, um, even if you don't take that into account, within the natural spectrum and the unnatural spectrum, 
Um, not all disturbances are the same. I do have one more question for you, though. What do you think nature is? You know, and I'd really like to, for our listeners, uh, bringing into that conversation, just go ahead and quote the uh, scholar William Cronin in his uh, essay, uh, The Problem with Wilderness, where he really dives into that idea of uh, what is nature in a new lens of saying that we really shouldn't be trying to answer the question, what is nature, as much as we should be understanding that the question comes from a place of um, hmm. acknowledging hmm. that nature is completely a constructed piece of our culture. That's got to be controversial, what this guy's saying. I mean, it is uh, certainly informed uh, the current generation of land mm -hmm. managers. Okay. That's great. Intervention with these occupants of Malheur Wildlife Refuge, they need to be taken to justice. Otherwise, it'll set a precedent on wildlife refuges and federal preserves across the west that you know you can hunt and disturb the you know as much wildlife as you please and that there'll be no repercussions for you and uh you know we have ways to hunt and mine and log mm -hmm. legally and you know that's the right way to go about it there's sure. plenty of lands set aside just for that purpose. Definitely. Whereas this is the only land, very small percentage of land in our country that is devoted just for wildlife. Right. I would like to say that um, definitely if you uh, find yourself comparative populations, it is, uh, it is very fascinating to, to, to look at this case. Um, in comparison with a lot of the other uh, demographic sort of stands against the government and occupation. And within that, you find that uh, many of those other stands that are outliers are common for takedown. You know, Zan, just to close us out here on this one, uh, Ammon Bundy has said that he would really like people to call him Captain Maroney. And I'm happy to do that. Mm. But I'm going to drop the I. This is this is our season two, uh, you know what I mean, guys? Yeah, it feels good. I know it does feel feel new really year, good. new yeah. season. Yeah, right. So uh, let's get started here with our um, our one of our final segments on bird trivia. Uh, so I'm gonna ask about five questions here. Whoever has the answer quickest, you gotta say the goose is in the gander. You guys both have one point right now. Um, whoever this is for all the marbles, as they say. Um, so, I'm going to begin with question number one. Is there, Are you ready, Tim? I'm ready. Are you ready, Martin? Uh, I'm ready, Zan. Okay, I'm prepared as well. 
Uh, which bird lays the smallest egg of all birds? The goose is in the gander. Martin. The bee hummingbird. That's correct. So that gives Martin one additional point to two points to Tim's uh, one point. For our second question. What is North America's heaviest bird? Uh, gooses in the gander. Yeah. Uh, the California condor. Ooh, that's not what I have here. The gooses in the gander. Uh, what is the that? The trumpeter swan. That is the correct answer. Again, Martin Salinas coming down with three there. Okay. Uh, here's the next one here. Um, what is the fattest bird in the world? Gooses in the gander. Uh, Martin. The chicken. Uh, no, I'm afraid that is incorrect. Uh, the gooses in the gander. Uh, Timothy. Uh, the ostrich. I'm afraid that is also incorrect. Uh, the correct answer was the peregrine falcon. So, uh, yeah, that's just, I'm afraid it's the peregrine falcon is the fattest, uh, fattest, fattest bird. In the you know, Zan, I don't, I don't mean to argue with the quiz master here, but, uh, maybe check your search history on that one, because I think you may have accidentally typed in fastest bird, not fattest mm, bird. I don't know about that. Uh, let's see here. You know, I wouldn't argue, uh, with that argument, uh, there is a, actually, um, well, that is, uh, could be the, could be that uh, that is true. Uh, but uh, arguing with the quiz master is a deduction of a point actually from your score. So you will be uh, back to two points. Uh, now we do have uh, more quiz master questions for you here. Uh, how many minutes does it take to hard boil an ostrich's egg? Go, uh, the goose is in the gander. Uh, Timothy. Uh, 180 minutes. Ooh. No, no. I'm going to go uh, Gooses in the Gander. Uh, Martin. Uh, I am actually going to say at a rolling boil that it takes uh, only about 15 minutes. Ooh. I'm sorry, guys, but uh, that was right in the middle there, uh, 40 minutes. So that's a zero added on to either of your scores. This is going to be for all the marbles, this next one, Tim. It's a uh, two-point question to end us here on uh, uh, birding trivia. Uh, okay, are you ready for this? Ready. This is for all the marbles, guys. All the marbles. Okay. Um, or all the eggs, I suppose. Uh, what is the best thing about a blue tit's nest? Gooses in the gander. Martin? The best thing about a blue tit's nest is the way that it's cooperatively built and woven together over the course of several months at times, creating an elaborate structure that is certainly pleasing to the eye, but also accommodating of the bird's eggs and chicks. That's a very good, well-thought-out answer, but it's not what I'm looking for on this one, I'm afraid. Timoth Timothy, do you have any, uh, uh, any ideas here? The eggs? Well, I'm sorry, guys, but uh, it does look like Martin is going to have to win this one. Uh, the best thing about the blue tit's nest is the antibacterial qualities of the plants that it uses to create the, the uh, nest. Oh, uh, wow. It gathers many of these curry plants and herbs to create this nest that provides antibacterial qualities for its eggs and uh, its young. Yeah, so uh, congratulations on that uh, that win, Martin. Um, what is that for you now? I think that's, that's that might be a clean six almost. Uh, uh, I think it is. Yeah, well actually, no, I think one time you did, either you lost or you tied or something, I don't remember. Mm, can't seem to remember that, Sam. Yeah. Well, anyhow, uh, good score regardless. And so with that, um, 
We're going to take one more quick break, and we'll be back with our final segment on hi uh, with the famous haiku as read by Jeff Hooks, a couple of short stories by Martin and Tim, and our birders joke of the week. And uh, we're out. <laughs> Tim, now I, I asked if Tim could get in contact with Jeff, uh, just talk to him, bring him in the studio. What was it like uh, talking with Jeff? Uh, it was a real pleasure, Dan. Um, just such a just such a poetic guy, you know. He, he lives his life like he does his profession. Yeah, no, I, I can sort of... I sort of see what you mean. Everything he says is almost kind of like a little haiku, you know? Yeah, that's really extraordinary to do that whole 474 thing all the time is kind of unbelievable. Um, we do have this recording of Jeff uh, right now, uh, as read by Jeff Hooks. You've heard it here, uh, the famous Jeff Hooks reading his haiku uh, on Aviator Paragraph. Hey, thanks, man. Like a wrecking ball. I, I mean, I I know that you know, like where, I. Where did you find that recording? Um, I so he has a library of tapes that he sent to us. Uh, he's been recording himself for the past uh, at least seven to eight years. He has these recordings of various haikus he's made in field. Uh, he's been doing what we uh, is now actually a new sport. He's one of the frontiersmen of uh, I'd say of this new sport uh, called haiku birding. As opposed to uh, spotting a bird and snapping a photo of it, uh, this is a bird birding form where you actually go find a bird and then you write a haiku about the bird. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'll have to try to get my hands on some of those tapes. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I think next time maybe we should all, maybe um, on a, a, we should do birdie bird together. Um, I, maybe I can even bring Justin, that guy I met at the deli. Um, it's it's been too long since we've all burned together. Yeah, and um, when we do that, we can uh, maybe go haiku bird instead of normal traditional bird. So, um, <clears throat> with that, we have our short stories uh, by uh, Martin and Tim. In the last few weeks, I've been working on a lot of uh, open woodlands and woodland edge habitat. Um, one particular site I was working at was uh, at Wolfhaven Sanctuary in Tenina, Washington. There's uh, they wow. taken wolves that have been abused by humans and yeah. give them a comfortable place to live for the rest of their life, sure. as yeah. they cannot be released back into the wild. Um, wow. the way in the state they are, yeah. yeah. 
So, um, there's a little corner of Wolfhaven that, uh, I was planting some Quercus Gariana, those are Gary Oaks, um, yeah. right around where, uh, me and my boss Saunders had also built some bat boxes for migratory bat colonies, huh. um, near the edge of the, the sanctuary that borders a wetland, um, and so, where I planted, we were planting and remulching these oaks yeah. uh, year two of since we planted them, and gotcha. all around um, this area where we're working were small flocks of varied thrush. Whoa! Uh, there had to be you know thirty or so varied thrush all within okay. this hundred square meter section of the sanctuary. Yes. And, uh, I just thought it was such a special treat to see, or usually mm. you only hear them on hikes during the yeah. summer when you're in the mountains, but uh, during the winter they come to lowland forests and open woodlands and sure. forage yeah. together in small flocks, yeah. and it's uh, yeah, just a real treat to see. Well, it's got to be uh, a treat because you said it was a treat, so... Um, Sweeter than candy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I got I got you on that. Okay, um, that's interesting. Uh, I don't usually eat candy. I think it's um, just from the health of my teeth. Uh, Martin, uh, you want to take us out with a weird story? Yeah, Zan, this one uh, actually comes from for my bird of the year. You know, uh, first of 2016. Uh, I know you guys are familiar, but for our viewers who aren't familiar, uh, this tradition in birding is called uh, bird of the year. And every year, each birder uh, tries to note the first bird that they see, and that is their bird for the year. Now, every year I've, I've had my bird of the year um, typically be something either interesting or not so interesting, but this year was a little different. Mm. I uh, got up early in the morning on wasn't January 1st. It wasn't a was it? It wasn't a haripu. Okay. I got up in the morning on January 1st, went outside... And immediately saw two uh, odd-shaped birds flying relatively high in the sky. And what were these birds shaped like? You know, they were shaped somewhere between a nighthawk and a pigeon. <laughs> okay. And uh, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what they are. Okay. So this year, my bird of the year huh. is to accept the mystery of birds. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. That kind of goes with my same idea of the haiku birding experience. These sort of uh, new age birding ideas and ideals that we all want to enforce within birding. Um, nobody should go out there with all their camera equipment and um, should be snapping so many photos, breaking their back with those cameras. Uh, like, just get out there with a little a piece of paper or notepad of some sort. And you know you can um, bird with uh, just those objects as well. Um, and since this has been such a deadly serious episode, I'm going to have to take us out with the birder joke of the week. This one was submitted by Ken Herman. His email is ken.herman at man.ac.uk. It was submitted to fatbirder.com. Um, it's titled Budgies. And here we go. Um, I'm going to be reading Budgies by Ken Herman. This is Birder Joke of the Week. A man went into a pet shop and asked for a blue budgie. The owner said, I'm sorry, but we only have green ones. I want a blue one, the customer keeps on insisting. 
So, to get him out of the shop, the owner packs up a green budgie and tells him it's blue. On unpacking the bird at home, the customer discovers that his blue budgie is green, and goes back to the shop for an exchange. At the shop, the owner tells him once again that he only has green budgies. Never mind, says the man, I'll paint it. You can't do that, it will kill it, says the owner. Next day, the customer comes back complaining that his budgie is dead. I told you the paint would kill it, says the owner. To which he gets the reply, it wasn't the paint that killed it, but the blow lamp. So I'm just going to let that sink in with you guys. Um, I got to say, Ken Herman, um, he's a very um, funny but interesting guy. You know, when, when, when I was reading this, that's the one thing I, I was kind of over my head a little bit. I was thinking to myself, well, this is funny, but it's also it's pretty interesting, too. It's mm. that's the thing about it is it's it's a little bit interesting, mm. you know. Um, regardless, uh, that's our show for today. Uh, I want to say I, I had a lot of fun doing it. So uh, this is Zen Mars. I'm signing off over here. And this is Martin Salinas. Get out there and go, bird. Uh, this is Tim Leckley, and it's been a pleasure. <laughs>